0: Kenzie's face again Gets the pass away for
1: Welcome to the All Black Podcast Tunes bring you in from the official band of the Pod 669. I'm your host Robert Dunn Going solo today My co-host Jay Reeve will be back next week So much going on in the rugby landscape at the moment And who better to have in the studio Than a man who has seen more than most Welcome to the studio Sir Graham Henry
0: Pleasure to be here
1: Mate, I actually spied you across the fields at our Auckland University Rugby Club in the weekend, watching a bit of club footy. Is that something you do regularly?
0: Well, I'm the patron of University Rugby <laughs> Club because I'm old. Um, I don't think that's the I... only
1: criteria, is it? But Well, that'll
0: do to start off. Yeah, with. sure, sure. You're very argumentative. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be quiet now. No, I'm a patron, so I try and get there to the home games if I can, and I see the odd game away. Yep. And it's... It's good to get back to the club, there's a good spirit there and um, have a couple of beers with some old mates and watch a bit of footy and
1: all good. Absolutely and I think um, I watched the game as well and I was really impressed with the standard actually. There was some, um, looked like there were a few rep players involved, um, it was well followed. It was almost one of those things again where perhaps COVID's a great thing for grassroots footy because um, I thought the standard was awesome. What did you think as someone who's seen a lot of games of rugby over the years?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of guys have come back, haven't they, who have been playing overseas, either for fun or professionally, and they've come back because of the situation. I think club rugby in Auckland has got two levels, and you saw two levels in the weekend yeah, with you the did. of yeah. Manukau, all, re, all due respects. Yep. Um, and maybe it might be better to have two levels, an A and a B senior group. So there's more competition on the field, and I think that would produce better rugby players, better coaching, and better for the Auckland Rep team to have competitive games rather than blowouts like the weekend.
1: Yeah, I've heard that um, mentioned a couple of times, and and perhaps would you think promotion relegation? So if one of those um, Division Two sides or you know is going particularly well, they have the opportunity to come up and oh, play sure. up some yeah, of the stronger sure. clubs.
0: Yeah, yeah, but you know I think we're two PC. <laughs> We're trying to look after everybody and I think the game's suffering because of that. And I don't think it would be detrimental to recruiting players to play if they had two levels. Yeah. And I think you'd get a, as I say, I think a better standard of
1: rugby. Yeah, totally. And there's um one thing I noticed a little bit from getting back down to my local club down the Bay of Plenty is after um, you know, the four to six of eight weeks of COVID we weren't able to get together as a group. Probably the thing I've loved the most about going down and taking my boys' team it was just getting back and seeing people again. Having that community aspect, as you spoke about it earlier, is that something you really enjoy, having the opportunity to get back and see some of the guys um, down at the club and, and chat all things rugby?
0: Yeah, like there's a huge number of people there in the weekend. There was. And um, I think that reflects a number of things. But as you say, people getting back together again, enjoying each other's company, watching a bit of footy, feeling pretty pleased that they'll be able to do those things. Totally. The rest of the world, they can't. Well, most of the rest of the world, they can't. So we're a, we're a lucky country and uh, at the
1: moment, so people are enjoying that. Yeah, absolutely. And and not just uh, at the grassroots level, but the local competition um, is going gangbusters. So firstly, just a bit of audio for a couple of great games of Super Rugby Aotearoa last weekend.
2: Barrett kicks it into
0: touch, and the under- the streak is over here in Christchurch. Absolutely. Now they just need to get it into touch. They fire it back into touch again.
1: Sir Graham, are you enjoying um, basically Sir domestic? S- yes, I thought, thought I'd better throw that in there and, and you might do. say Ted just... Ted will do. Ted do. Brilliant. That's all feel, I wanted.
0: I feel embarrassed about that, Sir Ted. I, I'll accept that. <laughs> Let's not stretch it. Yeah, go on.
1: I just thought I'd start at the appropriate level and then you'd let me know where I needed to be. But, um... Are you enjoying Super Rugby, particularly with this? You know, it's only New Zealand teams going head to head every weekend.
0: Yeah, it's been great, isn't it? Like, yep. the football has been amazing. Like, the speed of the game and the skill level and the passion of the players playing the game. I just wonder whether they can keep this up. Yeah. Like, it's a test match every week. Yeah. They're close, aren't they? Any side could uh-huh. win, which is part of a great championship when you don't know the result when you go to the park. Maybe the Crusaders supporters thought they were going for another win, but (laughs) it's good for the game. And um, so they've been fantastic. But I think going forward, they they need to think about player welfare because they just can't smash themselves every weekend like they're doing at the moment and survive. So how you get that balance right, I guess the, the people who are running the game will hopefully get that decision right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But for you, um, you've got to be um, very, very happy with the Blues. It's a place where you cut your teeth um, professionally as a coach and they've gone through lots of different um, iterations over the years since you started coaching them You know, 25 years ago. Um, is there anything in particular as you um, look a little bit more from the outside now that, that you think is particularly impressive or, or part of the reason why, why they're playing so well, they, they want a tight one on the weekend and good teams win tight games, I hear people say.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. They probably wouldn't have won that game a couple of years ago, yep. or even maybe last year. So um, now they seem to be enjoying each other's company, and they seem to be tight as a group of people, tighter than they've been. I don't think they're quite there yet, and mm. I'm sure the coaches would agree with that. Uh, but there's certainly been a big step forward, and and the skipper, the skipper's doing a great job. Yeah, um, he's playing his Patrick best rugby as well. Yeah. Is I thought he had a, he had a massive game in the weekend um so he's leading the way and leaders need to lead the way yep. and he's leading the way and I think Bowden's made a difference to them he's given them confidence he's obviously gives them a lot of direction on the field and the, the boys probably don't want to let him down yep uh, just because of who he is and what he's done yep. so there's a lot of good things happening there you know and um McDonald I think's done a good job as a coach you know he's brought them together. Um, and they're getting better. We get complacent in Auckland. We get complacent easy. You know, we get relaxed easy. And so the next game against the Highlanders Mm. in Dunedin will be a biggie because they they can play. They all can
1: play, can't they? Absolutely. Not the Highlanders.
0: I think that's another big game. So there's no easy games. And then the Crusaders game in Eden Park and... Was it two weeks or three weeks?
1: Yep, that's uh, the last one is uh, yeah. Blues Crusaders for the, the last game of the competition. be
0: massive, and particularly if the Blues can do the job in, in Highlanders' country.
1: Yep, absolutely. And uh, there's, you know, most recently or in 2018, you did help um, the Auckland Mitre 10 Cup team. You've got to be pretty happy to see some then, some of the younger players um, that you were you were helping with then, guys like T. Jafiani. Um, Blake Gibson Harry Plummer Dalton Popolini coming through and actually being really impressive players for the Blues now um, happy to see those fellas coming through and developing
0: yes good really good you know and those um, those guys were very instrumental in winning that competition a couple of years ago and now they're developing into good professional players at a super level um, so that's good for Auckland Rugby Yeah, they just got to keep on doing it
1: <laughs> Yeah. Totally, and there's, um looking across the whole competition because it's always um, pretty exciting year. Really, the year after a World Cup, some some established players go away, um, and it gives the opportunity for some new players to put their names up in lights for the for the All Black jersey. Is there anyone across the comp that you've been t- particularly impressed with um, now that we're a decent way into Super Rugby?
0: Well, well, Jordan I think's been the player of the tournament, the fullback for the Crusaders. Well, he can play anywhere, can't he, in the back three? Um, I think he's been... And we've got some superb... Uh, Mackenzie... Um, Geordie, yeah. Geordie Barrett. We've got some real depth in the back three. Totally. and There must be probably nine or ten wing fullbacks yep. around the country who wouldn't let the black jersey down. Absolutely not. So it's... Um, it's I thought Umanga Jensen played very well for the Hurricanes. Yep. Uh, look, he's big, strong... Lux, runs good lines he looks he looks the part yep um so he's come from nowhere um apparently this boy Grace yeah Colin Grace said, can play yeah. um everybody tells me he's the future number six <laughs> he's injured at the moment but there's been a lot of players and and uh the rest of the world looking in because they've got not much rugby apart from Australia must be thinking goodness me and this you know going forward to the hopefully the the championship. I don't know how, Australia, how South Africa and Argentina are going to feel when they're not playing any footy, yeah. and these guys are playing at this level with this intensity. It's going to be a big ask for those teams if it happens.
1: Yeah, it's, there's some ground to make up for sure. But um, just lastly, on, on Super Rugby, like um, there's a lot of work to go on behind the scenes and there's still a lot of uncertainty, but looking to next season, um, what sort of structure would you like to see for the competition um, now that we've had um, some domestic predominantly for Super Rugby so far?
0: Yeah, I think that's a big question, you know, and I think New Zealand rugby's probably quite, quite a way down the track on that. Yeah. Um, I think probably 10 teams, maybe 12 in the finish, but 10 initially. Five from New Zealand, uh, Fiji or the or the Pacific Island team, which makes six. Um, four from Australia. Yep. Ten. Yeah. Like, I think we, we need to look after I know there's been a lot of... Shit flying around in the newspapers, and yep. and the Aussies are getting their nose out of joint about New Zealand dominating the scene there. But New zealand are bring their money to the party, and they have brought the standards as well. You know, they've not many Australian teams have won the Super Competition over the years, so they're bringing the standard as well. So, um, I think Western Force, obviously, and three teams from the East Coast. Yep. Um, so that makes ten, and I, I think if you do that it'll lift the standard of australian rugby um so I, I think that's important we don't want to lose the fact that the Bledisloe cup and and competition against australia is important for new zealand rugby as well as australian rugby yeah absolutely and geographically we're close yep yeah. and that means less money spent to try and get teams together and people together so and in the current climate that's hugely important
1: yeah no absolutely and um, Um, Yes, it's probably, there's a bit of shit flying around, but it's good to have a healthy debate about these sort of things, isn't it? It's good to to explore why we're doing these things, and and I 100% agree with you. A healthy competition with the Australian teams, a healthy Bledisloe Cup benefits both sides of the Tasman, doesn't
0: it? It does, and I think Dave Rennie will make a difference over there. He's quality,
1: huge quality as a coach and a person,
0: and he'll bring that Australian team up, and
1: we should see good contests going forward. Absolutely, and that's probably a good opportunity to segue um, into some all black rugby chatting and and look the international rugby at the moment it's still a little bit uncertain but one thing that is locked in is our captain we actually grab some thoughts from our most capped all black captain ever Richie McCaw.
2: I first came across Sam Kane 2011 when the Chiefs played the Crusaders in Napier I got to mark Sam that day I think he's about 19 probably his first start for the Chiefs and when I walked off I knew I'd been in a battle against a guy who uh, had potential to make an uh, impact for a long time and he certainly made an impact that night and uh, I always wondered well, I wondered at the time how long it would be before we saw him uh, yeah, a bit more regularly and I got to present a player of the year age grade player of the year award to him later that year and then it was 2012 he was uh, in the All Blacks you know he's uh, you know, shown what he can do ever since that moment. I think he'll make a good captain because he demands of people around him, but he does that after he does it himself. He, he leads by his actions, and he'll lead the All Blacks with the way he performs first up, but he's not afraid to demand of people around him to ask the right questions and to ensure that people are doing everything they can for the team to succeed and that's what I think a captain needs to do and he's got the makings to do that and I think the other thing is he's not afraid to ask questions and look at ways of being better both for himself but for the team and I think you've got to be open to to looking at things different ways and he's certainly from what I've seen over the years uh, someone who will do that I think he has the respect of all the players he plays with. They all enjoy playing alongside him, and I think that's because first and foremost he gets out there. He's brave and courageous. Gets stuck in, and you know, as a player, when you see someone else do that, you just want to follow them into that. And uh, you know, that's why I think he'll make a make a good captain of the All Blacks.
1: Your thoughts, Graham. Well, as usual,
0: Richie's covered it all, hasn't he? Yeah,
1: yeah, he got. Was it he to... talking
0: about himself there?
1: Uh, there's <laughs> some some could uh, assume. Um, uh... No, I I saw Sam Kane,
0: met Sam Kane for the first time. I think it was 2012. I'd just finished coaching the All Blacks, and I was I was doing some coach development stuff in New Zealand rugby. I went to the Chiefs, and he came out to welcome me, and he was just a kid, you know, yeah. um, 18, 19, perhaps. I was very impressed with him, you know, just the way he conducted himself and he was easy. Easy to 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 talk to and I thought, hell, if this guy's got something about him, you know, just as a person. Yep. Um, I think Richie's covered it all though, hasn't he? There's no point in me repeating <laughs> that. <laughs> nah, he yeah.
1: I mean it was I think it's it's nice to hear comments from uh, you know, perhaps our greatest all black captain on the one coming in and and I think the, the thing, there's a lot of talk around the All Black captaincy at the moment, but the, the one thing that I, that I keep hearing and probably listen to the most is that he's very respected by the players and as someone who has coached the team for a long time, just how important is that? You've got to have the changing room, don't you? Oh, for sure.
0: But as Richie would say, it's not you don't do it by yourself. Yep. And he'll have a group of people that he, he relies on in the All Blacks, All Black leadership group. That's the correct term these days. <laughs> and Sam Whitelock will be... I'd imagine he'll be back in the team and he's a very experienced international player, as captain sides and he'll be in his back pocket helping him, which is great. And Sam would enjoy that. And there'll be others. There'll be others in the group who'll who stand up and lead with
1: him. Totally. And it's um you touched on a little bit earlier, but we could go from from a famine to a feast if if the stars align, we could have um, you know, six to eight, ten Um, international fixtures here towards the end of the year through uh, November and December and like you say is is the biggest challenge getting the other teams here and getting them up to speed because we do have the luxury of playing um, some very um, competitive matches week in week out
0: Yeah I think that's obviously the biggest challenge Um, Australia will be okay because they're playing their local super competition at home Uh, South Africa are not playing any rugby at all and they're, they're they're Springbok players are all over the world. Yeah, I don't know where they are at the moment, <laughs> whether bunkered down in South Africa or Japan or England or wherever they may be. And the same for Argentina, although most of them do play in Argentina these days. So I guess their biggest challenge is not playing any footy. And when you see the Super Competition in New Zealand and the, the, the intensity of that, and preparing those guys for international rugby, they'll be feeling they'll be feeling very bloody, bloody vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just wonder whether, you know, in the, at the end of the day, um, what, they're go- what decisions are they going to make, those two teams, Argentina, South Africa?
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, if we can imagine a world where there are some some matches scheduled in and, and we actually have to go through the process of, of picking an all-black team for this year, which, you know, a couple of months ago seemed like it might not be something they we'll uh, would be able to achieve. And, and you, were, you were boots on the ground at the World Cup last year, so you had a really... Um, up close and personal look at some of our toughest opposition, South Africa, England, who are able to knock us over. And Grant Fox was talking the other day um, on one of the radio stations about what he thought so far. And one thing he spoke a bit about was um, we're a bit short on the locks and getting some big bodies on the field, um, big athletic bodies on the field. Is that, um, when you were there at the World Cup, is that what England had over us that day as they had? You know, they had size. They had athletic size. They they beat us up a little bit, to to use a poor term. Um, would you say um, that was accurate?
0: Maybe. I just think they were they were at a different level mentally than we were yep. on the day. And uh, now I think an All Black team at a hundred uh, would. Let me explain. <laughs> Uh, like the england team didn't qualify in 215 for the yeah for the finals so they didn't make the quarter final in their own country yeah in their own country and there was a large number of those players who were selected again in, t- in 219 um new zealand had all of their players had never lost a world cup game yeah. never lost so you've got a different level of intensity working into that game england are going to be the best they could be and New Zealand never lost, which I think is a little bit of complacency sets in there. Yeah. And the and the coaches and the senior players would have would have thought about that, and they would have talked about it. So it wasn't something they didn't know about. Yeah. Uh, but it's easy to talk about it and harder to do. So they're probably at ninety percent, the All Blacks, and England were a hundred. And if you can get over a hundred plus, they're over a hundred plus. Yeah. And that, I think that's the difference. And you get to the final, like South Africa are, are really concerned about England. England, just a wee bit complacent, beaten the All Blacks, got ahead of themselves a wee bit. Same situation, different different level ment- and mentally. And ment- mental uh, attitude in sport is massive. And that's the reason I think the All Blacks got beaten. And that's the reason I think South Africa won the final was what was happening in the top three inches
1: yeah that's interesting and there's um, you know do you um you know you're also involved um, in the appointment of the All blacks coach for this year and it's probably something that uh um, one thing I would ask you first was you're perhaps I think maybe one of the first coaches um, to be reappointed after a big loss um is that, you know, almost that that flow on that was created when you were reappointed after a World Cup? Did you see that as still being a really, really important part of the coaching setup of the international side? Not necessarily, no. I was, I was, <laughs> I was a bit fortunate, wasn't I?
0: Um, so, no, I don't think that's that necessary a criteria. It, yep. it may be a, a one factor, Yep. but I don't think it's massive, and. Um, so I'll, I'll finish there.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I want to ask you um, on before we chat a little bit more about your career, just a couple more things on on the international game, and um, because it's you know COVID has created this this great moment in time to to look at what we do across all facets of rugby. But there's a few issues in the game. There's a few things that I've heard thrown around. Um, you know that that could have some initiative. The scrum is taking up a lot of time in the game, like particularly you look at the size of the guys these days, the strength and conditioning is probably just so improved from when you first started coaching rugby that we've got huge athletes who are very, very explosive, very, very athletic, and then particularly with the way rugby is set up these days, we're effectively taking off three front rowers and replacing them with another three front rowers who are equally big, equally athletic, equally as powerful, and it's just creating um, a hell of a contest at scrum time. Has it gone a little bit too far? Um do you think, or actually, it's just a beautiful part of the game, Graham? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the front rowers think it's a beautiful part of the game, and that's important for them. And I can, I can, I can uh, understand that. Um, I think this party in the in the super competition in the recent time is, is scrum has improved. Yep. We have not spending as much time. I don't think. Uh, getting the ball into the scrum and, and, and getting a result, which I think is very important because the, the fans don't want to see that. And we need the fans in the park. We need the fans watching the TV. And we need sponsorship in the game. So it needs to be a good spectacle. And I think um, rugby in general understands that they can't have reset scrums, reset scrums. And I think there's been a, less of that. And maybe it's because the referees are managing that better and maybe the maybe the the information has got to the players that they we can't continue to have reset scrums and they've, they've come to the party as well. I'm not sure about that. Yep. I can't remember the question, but uh, <laughs> have I answered it?
1: No, it was just well, it flows on nicely to the fact as well that, you know, many, many years ago the bench wasn't as big. These days, um, the international bench is at eight players. Um, and some would argue that that one allows for, to replace a whole front row, but two, um, you know, effectively replace half your team throughout the game, and it's taken a little bit of fatigue out of the game, and, and taking that fatigue out of the game means perhaps it doesn't open up as much as it used to in the last 20 or 30 minutes, um, and perhaps that's another area we could look at to reduce the size of the bench to try and get that fatigue back in the game, because we're, all, we're not quite playing two teams, but we're playing one and a half most games.
0: Yeah, it doesn't worry me. I know it's it's topical at the moment and I I see they've been talking about that in the UK and elsewhere. No, it's a twenty three man game at the moment and it's been a twenty three man game for a few seasons now. And that's been interesting. Yep. And some teams have their best players on the bench and they come on with thirty five minutes to go and make a difference. Um so I'm I'm quite I'm quite relaxed about the twenty three man game. Um and anyway, I think we got it. We're still got a very good spectacle. So you know, maybe it fills up newspapers. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. No.
1: And um. And lastly, just one thing I've heard you comment a little bit about before is is, well, oh, participation versus performance, or like. You know, we are having, um, at certain levels of the game, at certain age groups, there is there is a bit of drop-off. There's also some increase in things like the women's games and shortened forms of the games, but, um, you know, I'm certainly a big believer that participation, the more people play in the game, uh, the more likely you are to have a better top end. Um, is that something you'd like to see in rugby, is, um, you know, people are able to participate in the game in different ways, you know, not just in New Zealand, but around the world?
0: Yeah, I think this is probably the most important question you've asked today.
1: Thanks. Thank you,
0: uh, Sir Graham. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, I think the bottom of the pyramid's starting to crumble. Yep. And we've just got to try and keep young people in the game and and yeah, you know, I think you've got to look at all all levels of the game and say, is there a pathway? Is there a pathway for the and the under under eighty five kilo player the who wants to continue in the game? And there's not. Like yep. boxing, there's a heavy weight, middle weight, random weight, and whatever weight there is. Absolutely. In rugby there's one professional team, an international side, okay, sevens uh, and so on. But I think we should have an underweight New Zealand side. 85 kilos has been a level that's been played in some provinces throughout the country and very popular. It's starting to fall off again because these, these young guys haven't got a pathway to play one representative rugby in international rugby. So I'd have a, New Zealand under-85 rugby team, amateur, who play international competition, play Japan, play Sri Lanka, play Thailand. Thailand.
2: Yep.
0: Um, I don't know if the Europeans are into that, but it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, the game in Asia is, is growing and growing. Sri Lankas are mad on their rugby, but they're too small. Yep. Imagine a New Zealand under-85 side playing the Sri Lankans yeah, in a test brilliant. match. Yeah. It would be fantastic there would be quite a few. And those guys are the future sponsors. Yep. You know, a lot of bright boys down there. Uh, future sponsors, future referees, coaches, fans, club club administrators. We've got to keep them in the game. And um, so that'll be amateur, of course. Yeah. But I think it's very, very important we look at having other avenues on how to play the game. Have you ever played forward pass touch rugby? Yeah, I have. Yep. You know, a a five-a-side forward pass touch rugby. The All Blacks used to love playing that. Yeah. Indoor maybe.
1: And it's good for you, isn't it?
0: And it's all the skills, you know, space awareness, catch and pass, beating people. Um, Just keeping kids playing a game with that oval ball that they enjoy. Um, And that will go into other forms of the game, sevens, under-85s, whatever. Yeah.
1: Nah, Brilliant. There's um, want to talk a little bit more about about yourself, about your career? And firstly, oh, this, will, this will be boring. Yeah, no, no. I'm uh, I'm, I'm excited. Hopefully, I've got at least one more good question in me. But there's um, you know, firstly, you know, your background and, and the background actually of a lot of coaches in New Zealand, um, and around the world as a teacher. You know, like you've um, crossed Hitch boys' high school down to Otago University and then back up to Auckland. Is it grammar and Calston. Like, you know, you you probably are biased, but like. Um, you know why do teachers make good coaches? Because they teach, they're educators, I guess,
0: and they're trained to do that. And coaching sport is is an educational process. Um, the like guy haven't got a I haven't got a rugby qualification. Yeah, I haven't got a rugby coaching qualification, but I've got a physical education degree and a degree in education. I'm not very bright. I just, I'll just add that. <laughs> Um, but, and I had a passion for sport, so I love, love sport and um, I love rugby, so I love the culture of, of rugby, team working together to produce something special as a group of guys. Like, I had many, many weaknesses as a coach, um, but I'd had, uh, I'd had a background that enabled me to to try and educate young guys, in my case, I didn't coach, I didn't coach women, um, to, to play rugby.
1: And the, the thing, like, you, you did right like, a lot of things make complete sense around group management and, and knowing how to put across a closed skill or, or explain something to a group of people, which teachers, obviously, that's their bread and butter day in, day out. But also, um, how much has, it's got to help with the understanding of personalities, how to deliver the same message to different people as well. Is that something that a, a teacher is just on the front foot with?
2: Uh,
0: possibly. And as I say, I, I didn't I started coaching in the 1970s, and so I coached for oh, a long time, 35 years before I coached the All Blacks.. Yep. And what you experience gets ingrained in you. I think the big thing for me was to try and get better, you know try and improve the situation in each team that you coach. And it's a lot of it's not about the game, a lot of it's about the the values of that group of people, the culture of that team, and how how the players are involved in setting up that culture and virtually managing themselves with a bit of direction from the back of the bus, from the from the management, the coaches, and so on. Um, but you know, you when you coach for thirty five years, there's some characteristics of your coaching that are always going to be there, and and that's good too. So, um, you've 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 lived your experiences. You've you've gained hopefully from those experiences. But you're also trying to push the boundaries and and bring in new ideas. The most thing I was most proud about when I was all black coach is that we changed the culture. Yeah. So it became a a team driven culture, if you like, player driven players and management combining together to drive that team and. And in my 35 years prior to that, it was a coach-driven culture. Mm. So that's a major change, a major change for me, and a major change for the All Blacks at the time. That wasn't just my idea. Yeah, uh, we—I had a group of people I was working with, which were who were outstanding guys like Wayne Smith and Gilbert Anoka and and Tuna, Tana Umanga and Richie McCore and and um, all of those people. And those people put their heads together to, to make those changes in the All Blacks, and I think that's the most prou- the most thing I'm most proud of. And and the All Blacks have done pretty good since that change. You know, they've done pretty good. So, um, but it's you're always looking at it and always trying to fine tune it and make it better. And I'm sure Fozzie's doing that. I'm Steve Hansen would have done that, and I'm sure Fozzie's trying to do the same thing. Uh, so it's it's. It's always evolving and getting better, hopefully.
1: I want to ask you a little bit about um, something a little bit earlier on in your career. Once you'd um, been successful with the Blues, you made the big move to go um, and cut your teeth in the Northern Hemisphere and coach Wales. Like, Firstly, how did that come about? How did that opportunity come about to take you away um, from New Zealand shores? Because it was, these days it's common practice, but it was a little bit ahead of its time um, to go up north and... and um, Cut your teeth in the professional coaching environment. Up in probably the most followed rugby competition in the world being the Six Nations.
0: Yeah, I wanted to coach the All Blacks, and they didn't think <laughs> they didn't know who I was. Right. Okay. And um, even though I'd been coaching Auckland and the Blues for six or seven years, so I, and, the, and the Welsh asked me to coach them, and I asked New Zealand Rugby in would I would I have a chance of coaching the All Blacks? I didn't get a very positive response. Right. So I decided to go north. Um, I think I was probably the first guy to do that sort of stuff. Yeah, at that level, anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, f- fantastic experience! Oh. I learned so much about myself. Yeah, just about killed me. <laughs> um, but fantastic experience, and to come back and and be lucky enough to coach the All Blacks after that experience was was a lot of luck. Yeah, and <laughs> a fantastic uh, opportunity in another great experience to be able to coach your own your own people. Um, like, I just feel so privileged.
1: It's, um, you know, you, you speak a little bit about it there. Like, we love our footy. There's no doubt about it. We eat, and eat, sleep and breathe rugby here in New Zealand. But if there's one place that challenges that, it's Wales. And I was lucky enough to go and watch a few games there, All Black Games over the years. And it's, it's probably my most favourite All Black Games to watch is going to um, Millennium Stadium, it's called the Principality these days, or something. And and watching footy there was it was it as intense as it looked um, for you being the coach. You know, some may say you're more under the microscope up in Wales than you are here in New Zealand. Is that a fair comment?
0: Yeah, I think you know they're just different. You know, they're, they're beautiful people, the Welsh. Yeah. But they're so bloody passionate. They feel they're in the team. <laughs> you know, there's two and a half million people only in in Wales. A lot of Welsh people live outside of yep. the Principality. Um, but they they feel a part of the team, you know. They've got the jersey on, they've got the boots on and they're into it. Yep. And so you you don't get any relief when you're in Wales. Everybody wants part of you. So you, you're walking down the street and you can't go anywhere because people just crowd round you and want to asking you questions. You can't go out and have a, have a pint <laughs> <laughs> unless you're with a few other guys to get around you so that you can get a bit of protection. But that's that's good too, you know. It's just they're so passionate. Um. God, I, I just love that experience. It just about, as I said, it just about killed me in the finish and I had to run away and recover. But um look, I look back on that I also coached the Lions in two oh one. Yeah. And those experiences changed my life.
1: Was um it was I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because, you know, you are you the only coach that's been on both sides of the fence when it comes to the Lions? You coached the Lions when you're um, with Wales, and then you're lucky enough to come back and coach the All Blacks against the Lions. I, I haven't done the necessary research, but surely you're one of the only people to have done that. But I wanted to ask you about that as well because you played Australia at the height of their powers. That was probably the probably the golden golden era of era of Australian rugby with Gregan and Larkham and John Eels um, at their height of their powers. Hundred thousand people at the MCG watching some of these test matches. Um, you know, it was um, you know, was it? is as tough as it looked. It looked tough to be honest from the outs. Watching New Zealand we followed it really, really closely. It was a hell of a series. And I've um I've seen you've you've often spoke about how much you learnt from it. But it was it was small margins, you know, it was a it was a line out steal to, to Justin Harrison that, you know, almost swayed the sure series. I'm trying to forget about this. I'm things. sorry, but I'm I'm bringing it all back up. I'm bringing <laughs> it all back up. Like it was um Yeah, uh, yes. No, it's um
0: Oh, I was fabulous. We yeah. we had a lot of we had a lot of injury as well. Yeah. Um, like Lawrence Dialio didn't play. He was probably at the peak of his powers in those days, and he was a big player. Um, but he didn't play a test. I think he played twenty minutes of the whole tour. And we had a, a large number of guys who got injured and still were competitive. I look. I was proud of of um, how the guys played. Like it was it was a toss of a coin. Really. Whether you lost, uh, whether you won or lost that series, and and the Australians were, as you say, world champions from '99, and this was '201, and held the Bledisloe Cup. They were the best team in the world at the time, so it was a fantastic um, tour. But I didn't do it right. I look back and think, how could I have done that better? So I was the, I was the domineering coach, you know, and I was coached with four English guys. Who um, were good men, but you know, a Kiwi who was a foreigner to the British Isles yep. in Ireland, coaching the British Lions, and you had four other fellows who were all English, and you feel a bit vulnerable probably. Yep. But I was so bloody arrogant and up myself that I probably didn't even notice. Yep. Um, but when I finished the tour, it was one of the reasons I left Wales. I just had enough, you know, I just, I just hit the wall. So yes. I resigned and and came home but um, when I really thought about it deeply and I did think about it deeply to be fair um, I thought well I could have done that better and that's the, that's where the idea of a team driven culture came yeah. from
1: and what was that though was that the old school teacher in you was that the yeah. you say arrogant or was it just determined I'm going to show these bastards that I'm a good coach all you know of that, all, all of that, that, all <laughs> of that. <laughs> I'm going to do <laughs> this all all myself that arrogance. <laughs> yeah hey?
0: um. No, I just had a lot of success as a coach and, yep. and I probably was overconfident and hadn't thought about it enough and probably didn't talk to enough people who had gone through that experience. Yep. Uh, I didn't know them really. Yep. Um so I when I got when I got over it and started to think how could I have done that better, that's when the when the the seeds of team driven culture started to be, started to evolve, you know, started to germinate, is that the right word?
1: I think so, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Started to
0: germinate and thinking, well, you know, Martin Johnson, Johnny Wilkinson, Lawrence D'Elio, let's get some Welsh people in there, uh, Scott Quinnell, all of these famous players, you know, we should have been closer and should have driven it together rather than me driving them, if you like. It wasn't quite as black and white as that, but it was pretty much that way. Um, So I thought, you know, Going forward, we needed to combine that intellectual property of the players and the management, and do it together.
1: Yeah, and as um, like you say, you you came back home. You know, you had a good think about your career to that point, and you're you know you're fortunate enough to then after the All Blacks lost the two thousand and three World Cup final, lost the semi final to Australia. Um, in two thousand and four, you got the All Blacks job, and was there? You know, did you literally start that job? with these things you're talking about in mind. I'm going to do this a bit different. I'm going to be player-driven. Was there some things that were uh, on the to-do list when you got the big job?
0: Oh, yeah. But, you know, in those days, and it's a bit different today, so we're talking, hell, we're talking 15 years, 16 years ago. We are. um, You'd arrive, the team was selected. You arrive on the Sunday and you play on the Saturday. Yeah. With no previous connection with anybody prior to that. And they were playing England who were the playing through world champions from the year before, from 2003, we played them in Carisbrook, first test. Yep. We gave them a hell of a hiding, by mm, the way, but that's great. beside the point. I just thought I'd drop that in.
1: I remembered it was great,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you just you just didn't have the time to, 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 to make major changes. You yep. had a game on Saturday. Uh, but as the year went on, um, and there was a catalyst to it, uh, we, after the... It? After the Tri Nations finished, um, we got together in Wellington and made the changes.
1: Yeah, and it was um, you say that was that catalyst um being at the end of the Tri Nations and um, you know, a, an infamous court session um that you know supposedly you've um, read the book. Uh, I've read the book. I've I've read the internet. You know, I've I've read the articles. But um, I, I certainly have heard that heard that story before. Was was that the opportunity to bring in some of those changes you'd thought about because you had um, some time or, you know, like so often when um, it's when you lose matches or when you go through a time of a bit of crisis that actually sharpens the mind and gives you the opportunities to make the changes that you thought you needed to but perhaps you don't do it when you're winning?
0: Oh, no. No, it was just about – it was really about the opportunity to have some time together and put all those things into place. Yep. And um, – in those days, as I said, you know you you' are together for the week and you play a test match, yeah, and we hadn't had, had no time together outside of that time. um so things have changed for the better in that regard, so you've got time together outside of test match week so we we had a court session in joburg it's a it's a long story this, <laughs> and I don't want to bore people, but the court session was horrendous, yeah got out of hand, yep. embarrassing. And it was just a catalyst to to make those changes quickly. That's the team driven culture, and um, and we got back together in Wellington. Believe it or not, uh, I can't remember the time frame, but we had a large number of players and a number of management who got together at headquarters in Wellington, closed the door in the boardroom, and said, "Let's we 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 are a mess." As a rugby team, we've got to solve this. I asked the boys a question. I said, how do you like playing for the All Blacks? Pretty straightforward question. There's no grey area there. Oh, we feel very privileged, but we don't enjoy it. Why don't you enjoy it? Follow-up question. Oh, we don't like the culture. We don't Mm -hmm. like the expectation. So that was a marvellous And everybody said the same thing, maybe using different words. But when young guys don't like the culture of the team they're playing in, and they're playing in the team because they respect the country and respect the all-black brand, you've got a problem. And um, so that was a marvellous response from the players, and that just gave us the the leg up that we needed to to do things quickly. And we didn't do it right. We We got... Along the road quite well, but we we had no blueprint. Uh, you couldn't look up look up the internet and see team driven culture, and so we made some mistakes. Um, we collected those mistakes very quickly, and we finished up with a with a leadership model which we're proud of.
1: Absolutely, and um, to go on as I said to get on the other side of the fence in two thousand and five. Um, the Lions arrived at our shores, and, and you are now coaching the All Blacks instead of the Lions. And if you look back now, um, you know, we, we beat them 3 0. It was a convincing um, series victory. But heading into that series, there was a huge amount of hype around it, and they, they came with a bit of expectation. You know, it was, you know, how much of a benefit uh, was it being the coach of the Lions previously and knowing some of the pressure these guys will be under, and knowing how hard it is to get four nations together and, and get them aligned or were you just worried about your side and getting them ready?
0: Exactly. Just worried about our side. Okay, <laughs> uh, like I, um, I think the Lions brand is fantastic. That's amazing. And um, you know it's great for rugby. Uh, Sir Clive Woodward was the coach. He was. And he probably should have coached them in 201. He was the English coach. They were dominant in, in, the, in the Six Nations Championship. They were a dominant team in Europe. Um, but, you know, we, we had gone through an enlightening, enlightening period. I haven't said that very well. I won't try and repeat that. Um, so we had grown as a group of people after we had brought in the team-driven culture. We had a, a tour of of Europe at the end of 2004 after that meeting. It finished up with a big win in in Paris, 45 6 or something like that. It just gave the boys the, the 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 springboard to go. You know, they got some confidence in themselves. And the Lions, too, was a marvellous opportunity to express that. We had a lot of young kids playing. You may have heard of Daniel Carter. He was playing. Richie's first year as captain. I'm wrong. I do apologise. No, yeah, no, Tana was, Tana Tana was still Salon. the captain. I do apologise, T. Right. That's right. Um, but you know we had a lot of young guys playing, and and they just had enough experience to to go. You know they had they they just pulled the trigger, and yeah. um, they played some great footy.
1: You did. There's guys like Richie, Dan, Ali Williams played some great rugby that series. Um, Carl Heyman, you did your yeah, um. You know it was it was a fantastic series, um, and it always it just creates such excitement. The sort of what the Lions bring to a to a country, doesn't it? But it, that led into. Uh, 2006, um, which was a fantastic year for the All Blacks. I um, was it 2006? You won the Grand Slam tour, like almost, almost not quite, but almost played um, rotated teams, uh, you know, throughout the um, the end of the year tour, and and leading into 2007. Um, you know, the, the team certainly from the outside seemed to be in a fantastic space. Not just in the way they are playing rugby, but you had great depth. You know, it sounds like you worked really, really hard. On setting up, you know something that's talked about all the time now, culture. But it was you were sort of um, really putting things into place from that side of things for the first time. We all know two thousand seven um, was a loss in the quarterfinal to the French, and it's it's a pretty well documented story um, around that match and how it all went and um, how it affected yourself and Richie and Dan and and having um, DC and Nick Evans all go off in the in the final and uh, in that match. Sorry, what I want to ask you more about was Um, post that match because for the first time really that I can remember anyway certainly after 2003 certainly after 1999 John Hart and John Mitchell um, we retained our coach Um, firstly did you have to think long and hard about putting your name back in the hat and then secondly um, once you obviously got to that point because you did um, you know how did you um, present yourself as the best option going forward um, when we had had um, you know, a loss in a World Cup at a quarter final stage.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a bloody
1: long question. I it was can I, you remember the start? Yeah. I, I yeah. Can't remember.
0: <laughs> um oh, look, I I reapplied because I had to. Yep. Um know when you're all black coach you put a lot of pressure on young guys to perform and you know, so the acid's on them to do the job and and you supply that acid to a certain a certain degree. And I knew the players would be looking at me to say, has he got the balls to reapply? Also, I was, I was representing a management group who I had a lot of respect for, and the other two coaches, Steve Hanson and Wayne Smith. And so I was, if I didn't get reappointed, a lot of people weren't going to continue with the All Blacks. Um, but the big thing is that I, I, I didn't want to let the guys down. I needed. A, I didn't think I'd get the job for a minute. Right be fair, but I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to hide away and run away. Yeah. Uh, so when I got reappointed, I got a hell of a shock, to be frank. Um, yeah, and I, and I guess, you know, we'd, we'd had a pretty good um, three years, yeah. and uh, we our results were similar to recent sides, you know, we were 90, 90% plus on win, loss records, we won three Grand Slams in the British right. Isles. And, one of few tri nations, and so the the quarter final was was an unusual situation to be to to be frank. And let's not go into the detail about that. Don't need to. I was there, um, and um, but again, we learnt. You know, it was a hard learning that we weren't at the end of the day we weren't strong enough mentally to handle the pressures of that particular game. And um, so the first thing, once reappointed. The leadership got together and said, "What was the problem at Millennium Stadium in the quarter final against France, and how do we how do we fix it going forward?" And that's when the mental skills program uh, first got developed in depth in the All Blacks. And I think that mental skills program has been a another major reason why the All Blacks have been successful since then.
1: And that's is that predominantly, um, obviously Gilbert had been there for a while, but also um, was it after 2007 that you brought in Kerry Evans? Was that the time when he came in, was it?
0: Yeah, well, the leadership group met and they said, what do we need to do? We need to get some experts in here. And Kerry Evans was a psychiatrist. Um, He was an ex-New Zealand football captain. He was also a black belt in karate. So he he was using that shit himself. Yep. The wrong term, but I think the public will understand it. Uh, I think him.
1: he was using that shit himself, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. he
0: he, he was using the same mental skills to keep himself in the game as a karate player, if that's the right term. Um and so with Dilbert's facilitation, uh, we we developed our mental skills program with Kerry Evans' expertise. And you know, the, we had a seven man seven-player leadership group. The three coaches, Gilbert Anoka, Darren Shan, the manager, and a couple of Nick Evans, I think, was, I don't know if he was, not Nick Evans, I've got the wrong person. Doesn't matter, I'll move on. <laughs> um, and so that group of people worked with Kerry and Gilbert to develop that program. Manono actually was a very big catalyst in that program. He used to present a lot of the mental skill stuff. Brilliant. Good humour, yep. good artist good presentation um, and it made a
1: difference absolutely and it's um you know we fast forward to to 2011 um you know playing a world cup on your home soil and at that stage um you know i'm more than happy to say it absolutely was a monkey on the back like not of winning a world cup since 1987 it was it was a monkey on the back um you reckon yeah i I am i'm happy (laughs) to say that absolutely i think we I think it was tried not to be said in the leader. It
0: was a wee bit of expectation.
1: Massive expectation. um, I mean, the semi-final against Australia um, at Eden Park is easily the best atmosphere, the most intense atmosphere that I've ever watched um, an All Blacks game at home. It was was comparable but probably exceeded some of the matches I'd seen abroad. There was so much expectation that night. And, you know, um, you can never... There's no such thing... um, his Total confidence, but um, was it years and years of learnings? Um, you know, since you had taken the job back in 2004, that there you were able to keep calm, you always felt confident that you were pushing the team in the right direction. Um, from all those learnings you had had for all the different things we've chatted about as you got together at that tournament, and you you were, you know, you look back now, we won the tournament as you as you've often said, um, Sir Ted, smash them 8 7 in the final, but um. You know, you had a lot of adversity. You still had a heap of adversity in 2011 with Rich's foot injury, with DC going down, with Colin going down, Stephen Donald featuring in the final. By no means um, was it smooth sailing. No, and I think the reason why we won in
0: 2011 is because we lost in 2007. Yeah. And so Daniel Carter's injury was massive because he was a 20 points man for us. He made a 20 point difference and, and him ripping the adductor tendon off the bone in a practice before the last round robin game was massive. But because we had a strategy, the unexpected will happen, handle it, and that came out of the mental skills program. Um, I think that's how we got through it. We had a bit of luck too. You know? We didn't have yep. any luck in 207. We had a bit of luck in 211. Always, luck always plays a part of it. Uh, ask the Chiefs at the moment. So, you know, um, because we had the strategy, the unexpected has happened, it was an easy way to discuss it with the players. So when Daniel had his injury, we had a meeting in the dressing shed after training, and I said to them, look, the unexpected has happened, fellas, and we'll handle this, and Colin Slade will play bloody well in Daniel's place, Um, and we just carry on. And he'll go up 10% and play for DC because he's a huge part of this group. He was fabulous, by the way. Came back from Australia where he got the adductor tendon stapled to the bone by the best surgeon in Australasia on that type of injury. And he, he just helped the guy so immensely. Like, he was hurting because he was in the peak of his powers yeah. but couldn't play. Um, then Slade got injured in the quarter quarterfinal. We had Aaron Cruden came in. He was still in nappies. Yep. He was just a baby, playing 10 for the All Blacks in the World Cup Finals. Unbelievable. Yep. And then he got injured. There's a lot of stories around this, <laughs> but he got injured and Beaver played in the fi- and came on in the final, kicked the f- winning goal. You know, he went from zero to hero. Totally. Beaver, Absolutely. You now he could have been the Prime Minister if they had an election the next day for Prime Minister.
1: In this world, absolutely he oh, could have been. Absolutely. Like,
0: like, he was great guy, Beaver. Yeah. Great student in the game. Yeah. And, um... Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, but hell, we had some problems. Oh. And Richie was playing with a broken foot, mm. yep. which seems impossible. Probably impossible for everybody apart from core
1: Yeah, uh, mate, he's a driven man. And I mean, obviously, you weren't coaching the side um, in 2015, but you must have been looking on to see, um, you know, Richie go on and defend the World Cup, but also to see DC on the field in the World Cup final and, and not just play um in the team I know he's involved in two thousand eleven to, to be on the field and be so significant. Some of the rugby he played through, particularly the playoffs, um, was phenomenal. The drop goals, you know, things in the semis in the finals. You must have been so happy to be able to see him go out in the all black jersey like that.
0: Oh yeah, fantastic. You know, he's a he was a fantastic player and and he deserved that. Yeah. And he had his challenges too, you know, whether he could stay whole and and he was getting a bit older. Uh, but he's probably the player of the tournament. Yeah. Like he was uh, phenomenal, and also, you know, I think um, the two eleven thing with France playing in the final, everybody wrote them off.
2: Yeah,
0: ideal team talk for France. The media always helps the opposition in New Zealand by writing them off, yes. and they'd written themselves off probably, apart from their players who were who were talented individuals. Uh, but in two fifteen, um, you know, it was a the semi final was the problem. They had a big, big quarter against the French at the Millennium Stadium, yeah. which put the put the put the bed two oh seven, and there was huge motivation to do that. I would imagine. And then they played South Africa. That's when they were vulnerable in the semi, yeah. and got through that, and then played superbly in the final. So, different situation, um, same result. Fantastic.
1: I wanted to finish on your area of absolute expertise, coaches. And uh, as we mentioned before, you're a bit of a trailblazer, um, being someone who went abroad and and cut their teeth internationally in another country. Now, these days, you know, it's quite common for New Zealand coaches and others to go around the world coaching. But as you look around the landscape, I wanted you to ask you about a few um, of the coaches who are out there and what you think of them. Um, You know, firstly, uh, Eddie Jones, who's someone who has – Coach all around the world as well, Um, and I think um, you know everyone can agree that he's got England humming. He's got them confident. Um, They've always had good rugby players, they've always had a large rugby playing base, they've always had good athletes. But it feels like one of the main things he's changed with them um, is the confidence that I think they look like they're a team that think they can win most games they go into. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I agree. Like it is quality. Yeah, polarizes people a
1: bit. Yeah, yeah. I quite enjoy that.
0: But he's he's quality. I remember having lunch with him in Japan before the 215 Rugby World Cup. I was over there doing a bit of coaching, and he he invited me out to lunch, and he said, we're going to target South Africa, 215 Rugby World Cup. And I'm thinking to myself, South Africa will win by 30. (laughs) (laughs) That's the greatest result ever, I reckon. It was amazing. Japan beating South Africa in the 215 Rugby World Cup. Yeah. It was an amazing result. Yeah. Eddie Jones, like, um, like he's a pretty special coach.
1: Totally. And another and one, special guy. I've heard he's an, an outstanding rugby man, but another one as well who's made a huge impact um, in, in an environment that I think could be pretty pretty bloody difficult is Rusty Erasmus, um, took South Africa to the World Cup final last year, got the stars to align, because as you said earlier, their players come from everywhere, um, and he's now in a director of rugby role um, at South Africa. Your thoughts on him?
0: Well, you know, he, he brought them together, didn't he? Oh. And, um, like, he's obviously highly respected. I, I, I don't know him very well personally, but he's obviously highly respected by the players, and the players play for him. And um, he just seems to me it's not about Erasmus, it's about the team. And, um, and like, I he just, all I could do is respect the guy. And,. After the game, I happened to be on the sideline in the final and watch with interest. You know, the players all went to him. So they he certainly made a huge difference there. Um, he was a quality player himself. He was. And um, a, a, I'm trying to find the right word, but great personality, you know, who, who's got other things going on in his life apart from rugby and uh, connect with those guys bloody well. Yeah. Um like I was talking to John Smith after the game who was crying. Wow! and John used to be the captain of the Springboks when I was coaching the All Blacks and we had a you know the All Blacks and the South Africans always had a great relationship. So we used to mix after the game and and chat and um so I knew John quite well and, and I said, "Jesus, great for South African rugby." He said, "Ted, it's great for the country." You know, yep. we're uh, multi-racial country which is which is struggling to connect with each other and here's a multi-racial racial team team from south africa winning the rugby world cup they said it couldn't be better for our country yeah no um and like erasmus i think is of the same ilk Uh, it's about the country
1: And uh, last couple, I wanted to, a bit closer to home, a Kiwi coaching Aussie. It's happened before. You've coached against Robbie Deans when he was in charge of the Wallabies and it always caused um, some good headlines. But Dave Rennie, um, you know, again, he's got the job over there. He's been coaching, again, overseas in the Northern Hemisphere. And now he's taken the job with Aussie. How do you think he'll go there? Which is, it's it's challenging, the Australian game at the moment, but certainly everything you hear about him is really positive as a coach.
0: Yeah, he's a quality man. Yep. quality coach, quality person I think he'll make a huge difference to Australian rugby they'll have to give him a bit of time because the product's not that great at the moment but you know they're under 20 team beat hours convincingly recently last year and so he's got some young guys to, to work with and I think he'll make
1: a big difference Look, um, thank you very much. We'll wrap it up there. Um, I really appreciate you coming in and, and giving us um, a bit of your time. It's, it's fantastic to have a chat to you and, and it just reinforces hearing it come from you like um, what a trailblazer you've been in terms of um, you know, putting things like culture at the centre of the team, uh, mental skills, bringing in specific resources around mental skills and I'm sure it's a huge part of the reason why the All Blacks were hugely successful while you're in charge but also have continued um, to be successful. Um, post those so you can look back on, uh, on some, some cool milestones and thank you so much for sharing it with us, really appreciate it. Pleasure.